Welcome to Left on Red, the Daily Mountain Eagles Political History Podcast. I'm Jennifer Coron. And I'm Drew Gilbert. And our guest this week is Steve Flowers, political columnist, uh, author. His book is called Of Goats and Governors. For those of you who haven't seen it, it came out a few years ago, and uh, he tells quite a few of the stories. Uh, well, we only got him to tell two stories, really, in this episode. But. Um, just speaking directly to those of you that are uh, looking to buy me a Christmas present, that is on my Amazon wish list. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so he told two stories for this episode, but there are many, many, many more in his book of Goats and Governors. Um, so so get that if, if this, uh, this Alabama political history stories, uh, if that's your thing, you'll enjoy the book but he was a fun guest he was a different guest for us this was a change of pace it was fun for me because i'm i'm mostly familiar with everyone else we've had on Mm -hmm. so far Uh, even if i didn't know him personally i knew a good bit about him i came in pretty blind for this one so i liked it it was just basically uh sit back and let the man tell me some stories and he told some good stories he does he does such a good job and and of course because we're in podcast world you won't be able to see it but he reenacted some things for us <laughs> there's some gestures in the uh, room <laughs> yeah he's a he's a born storyteller and we enjoyed him very much uh and mr flowers if you hear this uh the check is in the mail for this, this <laughs> intro that you're about to hear so here's our interview with steve flowers We'd like to welcome Mr. Steve Flowers to the podcast, a former legislator and and longtime political columnist. I think uh, your column runs on Wednesdays here at the Daily Mountain Eagle, so we've been doing that as long as I've been at the paper, and I'm sure many, many times before that. So uh, thank you for stopping by here and for being yet another one of our uh, first guests to, to ever do a podcast. We're always excited when that happens, too. So. Well, thank y'all for having me, first of all. And I want to also say thank you for, to the Mountain Eagle for the great job this paper does. It's one of the best papers in the state. My column runs in 60 papers, and uh, the Mountain Eagle here in Jasper and Walker County is one of the 10 largest papers in the state. And it's very widely read here throughout Walker County. I can go anywhere in the state and meet somebody from Jasper, and they'll say, I'll read your column in the Mountain Eagle. This is a legendary, traditionally strong newspaper, and it continues to be. And I'm proud. I was one of the first, this was one of the first papers I was in. I'm in 60 papers in the state now. And my column was in, in that many papers. And, but the Mountain Eagle is in the top 10, always has been. And I've always loved to be in Jasper and Walker County and proud to be in the Mountain Eagle. And James didn't even pay you that much money to say that. I know, man. (laughs) Well, we appreciate that. I like hearing that. It means I'll have have a job for the next few years. I love Walker County. It's a good county. I mean, you fit at home here. Mm -hmm. Well, we appreciate having you. So so you and I have interviewed together before, but uh, my co-host here, Mr. Gilbert, has not heard some of these stories. So let's start at the beginning. I think when you're around maybe 10 or 11, and it's the year that uh, that Big Jim is running, I think he's actually towards the end of his career, and you're watching the uh, <laughs> the campaign spots on television. So tell us, tell us a little bit about Big Jim and about that election in particular and, and how that affected you that year as a kid. Well, let me set the stage for it. If you, if you don't mind, uh, yeah, I have been around all my life. I started, I probably knew since I was 10, 12 years old I was going to be around politics. I just always liked it. But, but going back to Big Jim Folsom, he, he was a bigger-than-life figure. He was 
he was in fact a big big man he was six feet eight mm-hmm. he wore a 17 and a half shoe and he was a giant of a man he, he referred to as little man's big friend he truly wanted to help the alabama farmer and everybody in alabama farm at that time i know wall cattle unique had a lot of coal mines here but uh people still worked in the coal mines had, had vegetable gardens at home but big jim uh you know he was a great great governor actually uh very gregarious, fun-loving. If you use the word uninhibited, you could put his picture by the, in a dictionary and he'd, he would describe him. But you got to set the stage. In 19, uh, from 1901 to 1946, <clears throat> every Alabama governor had been elected in a boardroom in, in Birmingham. Uh, and Big Jim coined this phrase, the big mules in Birmingham and the big planters in the black belt would pool their money together and they would get behind closed doors and pick somebody to run for governor. <laughs> and there used to be some well-heeled person who was a, a top lawyer in the state, blue-chip silk-stocking lawyer or president of the power company or president of a bank and some wealthy man. Uh, one, matter of fact, the only governor from my home county of Pike was a man named Charles Henderson, and he was governor in the 1920s. He also was the richest man in Alabama. So you had, would have rich men became governors, and they they were instilled in the idea of keeping property taxes low and keeping folks in the old way of saying barefoot and pregnant. You know, they want people not to have much education and, and not put much, much money in education. And uh, Big Jim came home from war in a generation that's called the greatest generation and from 1901 to 1946, uh, there'd been these well-heeled businessmen, lawyers, picked in a boardroom in Birmingham, uh, were governors, and backed by the Black Belt and, and mule, big mules and big planters, Big Jim. Big Jim beat that coalition. He went to every crossroads. He went to Cordova. He yep. went to Dora. He went to Parrish. He went to Jasper. He went everywhere, and he, he, he would campaign with a country band called the Strawberry Pickers. And they would come to the courthouse here in Jasper, and they would draw four or five hundred people to courthouse squares. And he was the most colorful, gregarious thing. He'd sing and dance with the band and get barefooted. And those farmers would come in from all over the northwest part of the state. They'd come in from Haleyville. Of course, he'd wind up going to Haleyville, too, because that's where his votes were. But he beat those big mules. He went to the, to, right to the farmers. And he really delivered for the farmers, too. He, he delivered uh, farm-to-market roads. Everybody during that generation farmed, as I mentioned. And most of the roads in the state on these dirt country areas were all dirt. And uh, there was no way to get their crops to the market. You imagine your road washes out and your whole crops washed out for the year. Couldn't, couldn't get to the market. Big Jim understood that. He helped the little man get roads. He paved every farm-to-market road in the state. Told a Qantas club with James a while ago this. I can make a speech anywhere in the state from Scottsboro to Dothan, uh, Evergreen. I remember being in Evergreen not long ago, and some old codger come to me and say, Flowers, let me tell you, so I tell them some Big Jim stories. I say, Flowers, I'll tell you one thing. If Big Jim was running for governor right now, I'd vote for him. <laughs> he paid my granddaddy's road. Mm-hmm. When you do that kind of thing for yep. people, you remember it, you know, because his daddy, his granddaddy told him, said, you know, I want you to ever vote for Big Jim, vote him. And help his little, help his son, little Jim, be elected four times as mm-hmm. governor. 
But back to setting the stage, Big Jim was the only man to be elected governor two times before 1970. Bib Graves was the other one who'd been governor twice in the 20s and 30s because you couldn't succeed yourself mm-hmm. as governor. Mm-hmm. There was a, not a, a non-succession law, and you couldn't run but four years. So Big Jim had won the governor's race in 46, Come, came home from the war, Army, Coast Guard, and he served from 46 to 50, and then he served from 50 to 54. Well, let me let me get into, to get to your story. I'm going to finally tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> Big Jim also had a penchant for alcoholism. Yeah, he, he liked to take a drink, and he would he would stay drunk a good bit. And uh, but he just he, he was a colorful guy, and he he didn't need to be drunk to be colorful. He would he just you know that's added to the <laughs> that to accentuated the, the, the color accentuated <laughs> the colorfulness. But he he wanted to help people, but he literally did stay drunk a good bit, and uh, he would campaign drunk. I don't think the farmers could smell his breath because he was so tall. You know, yeah, <laughs> kind know, of floated above. Well, well, most of them were like five eight, you know, five six at the most, and you know, and Big Jim was six eight, and he just towered over them. But now he would be bad to kiss people. He'd come and see you, and he'd kiss you right in the mouth if you let him. He was called kissing Jim. I don't know if that would fly in twenty nineteen. No, he, <laughs> yeah. he couldn't do it. He'd now. have to give that up. He would kiss today. everybody who ran when he everywhere he'd go. <laughs> but anyway, he he was he couldn't could do any of that stuff he did there back now. But uh, I'm just at the stage and you get to national politics. Y'all too old, too young to remember this. But you know, when during that era, there's the only we talking about podcasts. There wasn't any kind of medium mm-hmm. except the newspapers. Mm-hmm. There were the big city papers, the Birmingham News and the Mobile Press Race and the Montgomery Advertiser, and then there were small town papers like the Mountain Eagle, the Northwest Alabama, and the Blunt County, and the Greenville Standard. The, Troy Messenger and Luger Star News. Those were the, and it, the the state was divided between rural and urban. And uh, Big Jim, Noel Wallace, either one cared about carrying Birmingham. <laughs> they wouldn't even campaign there because they got, got their votes in the rural areas. More people will live in the country than do in the, in the cities. But in 1960, uh, television was a new medium. Mm-hmm. That's hard for y'all people, y'all's generation, to understand that. But the during that 46 and 50 era, the only medium was newspapers. There wasn't any radio. The only radio was the Grand Ole Opry on Saturday night. Everybody listened to that. Everybody in the country listened to the Grand Ole Opry. There obviously is no social media. Right. There's no internet. There's no television. So, you, you know, you got to go to, to, to see people one-on-one. Well, television came to the national audience in 1960. And what's the the Nixon-Kennedy race for president? Mm -hmm. In that race in 1960, Richard Nixon was vice president under Eisenhower for eight years and was inherently supposed to win the presidency as a Republican. John Kennedy was a very, very young U.S. son from Massachusetts whose daddy had a lot of money, had made money in the whiskey business during Prohibition, the Kennedys had. But they had a lot of money, and they had... uh, and, and Kennedy was running for president, a young man. Nixon did not understand television. He'd been campaigning all day long. There was going to be national debate. It was a debate, national debate for president, and uh, and, um, and Nixon hadn't prepared for it. He was he was well versed on the issues, uh, but he'd had flea bitus in his leg. 
and he didn't understand you're supposed to shave or put makeup on before you got on television. And he had that face made for radio, right? He did. <laughs> he had a 5 o'clock shadow that was horrible. I mean, it, it, he looked sinister. He didn't need to look any more sinister than he did. But you put a man on 5 o'clock in the afternoon mm-hmm. with that kind of 5 o'clock shadow, he came on it with no makeup, 5 o'clock shadow. He was in constant pain from flea biters. He'd been campaigning all day long, whereas Kennedy went to Highlands Port for a week, tanned mm-hmm. in the sun, prepared for the debate, mm-hmm. came in there fresh, no appearance. He, he understood the medium of television. Well, people who listened to that broadcast on radio said Nixon won the debate. <laughs> but those who watched on television, which was the majority, Kennedy, bottom line is Kennedy won the presidential election in 1960 with that debate right. uh, against Nixon. Well, television now becomes a new medium. And he comes to Alabama <laughs> in 1962. We had one of the best governor's races formulating in the country, or in our state where we've seen for years. As I said, Big Jim had been governor in 46, stayed out four years, 54. Big Jim was coming back for a third race in 62. Mm-hmm. He was going to run for a third term. And nobody was writing him off because he'd paid everybody's foreign market road. He'd been the little man's big friend, and he was a heck of a campaigner. Well, George Wallace had lost the 1958 race because of the race issue. The race issue had become an issue, and Wallace understood that. Wallace lost to John Patterson in 1958. He went into deep depression for about a week, and he woke up the next day and took a page out of every playbook anybody around for governor in those last 40 years. The scenario had played out. It was called running a get-acquainted race. Everybody who ran for governor, because you couldn't succeed yourself, if you ran second, you never quit campaigning. You ran for the next four years, mm-hmm. and you won the next time. Mm-hmm. That had happened in succession. Bib Graves had done it. Big Jim had done it. Wallace was going to do the same thing. Wallace lost to Patterson in 58, and he woke up about a week after the press, and he said, I lost because of the race issue. I got outsigged, and I ain't never going to get outsigged again. So he grabbed that race issue and he ran with it. So he had the race issue, and race was the only issue in 1962. Big Jim was actually soft on the race issue. He would not demagogue it. He, he, he actually would make speeches in 1954 and says, the reason Alabama is so far behind the rest of the country won't integrate our schools. Hmm. Uh, he, he, never, he, he wasn't a race, but he was very progressive on the race issue, everything else. But anyway, Big Jim was going to run. Wallace was going to run against him. Mm-hmm. Wallace going to win that race because of the race issue. There was a third candidate in that race named Ryan DeGraffenreed, who was a young state senator from Tuscaloosa, who was the new Kennedy. Not that he was liberal, but he was a very polished candidate. He was, he was cut out to be governor. Uh, and he was going to run for governor in 62, his first get-acquainted race. So you had Wallace, Big Jim, and Ryan DeGraffenreed. Well, as I, we talked about, I... Uh, I was uh, already a political junkie, and so um, I, I had met Wallace, because Wallace was from my neighboring county, Pike County and Barber County, neighbor each other, and I'd been a page up there in the legislature already, and I'd gotten to know Wallace, so I had a paper route. On my paper route, I had Wallace bumper stickers all on my bicycle, and I was campaigning for Wallace. I was 12 years old, 11 years old, in my neighborhood around the First Baptist Church in Troy, and I asked my daddy who he was voting for. I said, Daddy, who are you voting for? 
I vote for Ryan and Graffin Reed because my daddy was a businessman. The Graffin Reed was the business people's candidate. He carried mm-hmm. all the upscale areas of the state. He was a Republican candidate now. And I asked Mama who she was voting for. I said, Mama, who are you voting for? I said, I'm voting for Big Jim, folks. I said, Mama, why are you voting for Big Jim? Well, he paved your uncle's so-and-so road up there in China Grove. And plus, he kissed me when I was a high school children at Troy High School. <laughs> I never forget he can't. That story goes a little different now, though. <laughs> I said, "Well, Mama, that's a good reason to vote for him, I guess." Of course, I think he had a, she had an uncle that made some money off Big Jim's road thing too. Anyway, but uh, she's voting for Big Jim, and Dave's voting for Ryan and Graffin. And Wallace won't get no votes in my family. I wasn't over to vote, you know. <laughs> but he carried my box. He carried the First Baptist Church, where I still vote in Troy now. And um, anyway, oh Wallace. He cared first bad, but he didn't care. And he won the race. But Big Jim got Mama's vote and Daddy's vote. Anyway, the Daddy's vote for Ryan Graffney. But I'm sitting there watching. The, they all buy 30-minute television show. This is getting finally getting to the story, but I had to set the stage for it, you know. And so uh, they all bought 30-minute time. It all paid for. And on three top candidates, Wallace had bought the 7 o'clock 30-minute show. Ryan Graffney had bought 7.30. And Big Jim had bought eight. And um, I'm sitting in my living room watching my television, my family television. I'm the only one watching it. Daddy's not home yet. Mama's back in the bedroom reading. And uh, back in her bedroom reading, she's uh, read a lot. And, and uh, the shows come on. I'm sitting there watching them, just waiting for it. It's like somebody with a soap opera now. And he was a soap opera. He became a soap opera. I'm sitting there watching him. Wallace comes on at 7. He does pretty good. And, doesn't hurt himself. The Graffney comes on at 7.30. He's brilliant. Well, he gets a lot of votes that night. No. 8 o'clock comes, Big Jim's time. And 8 o'clock's probably a little late for Big Jim you know, <laughs> to be live on television. Was he deep into the sauce by he's, 8? He usually started You about, have no idea. He, he, usually, Wait. he usually started about 3 in the afternoon. And, and now, Wallace, Big Jim always said Wallace slipped him a Mickey, but I don't think he had <laughs> Anyway, uh, Big Jim comes on at 8. I'm sitting there watching. And they tell you on television, look in the camera. Well, somebody told Big Jim that, I guess, to look in the camera. He stared that camera down. <laughs> he was sitting there just right in your living room staring you down. And he had a shock of hair hanging down in his face. Nobody even combed pulled Big Jim's hair. He didn't have his hair combed. <clears throat> and he's sitting there looking in that camera, and he starts mumbling these words. He says, I want to tell y'all I'm Big Jim Folsom. I'm the best governor y'all ever had. I'm a little man's big friend. You know, I paved all those foreign market roads. I gave all the teachers a pay raise. I helped the poor folks get a pension. I'm a progressive. I'm a progressive governor. I was a little man's big friend. I'm a little man's big friend. I paved your roads, got your pensions, got your raise. I had to try to help people. And uh, I want y'all to vote for old Big Jim for governor. I'll be governor. Good job. Do 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 do, do y'all a good job as governor. And they got they're gonna make Big Jim a family man. He had seven children by Jamil. And he had a sofa over here on the far side. And he was gonna introduce his family to everybody. And they, he got ready. He stumbled through those words I told you about. And got ready to introduce his family. And he says. Uh, First one comes out, says, Little Jim, who later became governor. This, that's my little boy, Little Jim. I like him. <laughs> He's a good little boy. 
Come on out here, boy. Come on, let me see you. Come on out here. You're a good little boy. I like you. He's a good little boy. Come on, Jim. Sit over here. Took him by the arm and threw him on the sofa. And I said, well, that's good. You got him over on the sofa, I guess. I'm sitting there watching, and the second one was going to come out. It was, it was a boy named Jack. I've known Jim's little brother. And um, he said, this is a good little boy, too. He's a, damn, he's a damn good little boy. I like him. He is a damn good little boy. I, li- I like that little boy. He's my second boy. Boy, what is your name? <laughs> oh, Lord. This is on statewide television. He he had five more to go. Uh, had Bama and Scat, Scrappy and all them. He wasn't about to remember their name. <laughs> and I called Mama out of the bedroom. I said, Mama, you need to come see this. I was about 11 years old, but I kind of knew what a drunk person looked like. I said, Mama, I believe Big Jim's drunk. And she came in there and took up for him. Says no, he just cuts up like the heat of I said, well, Mommy can't remember his children's name. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I believe Big Jim's drunk. And she says, No, he's he's all right. He just cut up. I said, Okay. Well, he can't introduce the children anymore. They gotta change subjects. He's lying. He's <laughs> so you have to see this in person, but he started mimicking a, a cuckoo bird. And he got to doing a cuckoo bird. He got don't, this is what he said about Wallace. He, Wallace had been in the South Alabama campaign manager in 1954, and Wallace was trying to steal all of his thunder. Uh, he not only was racist, he was trying to steal Big Jim's populist themes. And he says, "You know, there's one old guy in this race. Y'all, y'all, you know, he ain't nothing but a damn sawed-off sob." <laughs> On statewide television, he called Wallace a sawed-off little runt racist. He said, just a damn racist is all he is. He's a sawed-off little cuckoo bird. He wants to follow Big Jim's thing. He says he wants to be a cuckoo bird. Is all Wallace is, just a little old cuckoo bird. You know what cuckoo birds do? They go, cuckoo. <laughs> cuckoo. Cuckoo. For six minutes on stage. No, he did not. He's swaying back and forth going, cuckoo. 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 Oh, goodness. And, and I called Mama now. I said, Mama, you need to come see this. I said, I, I don't know. And she watched him do cuckoo for about a minute. She said, son, I believe you're right. <laughs> I believe you're right. She didn't want to admit it. That was her poor, guy. Poor old Big Jim finished third. <laughs> oh, it was a rough one he for him. He didn't make the, the grass and read, beat him out, run off by that that little bit. But I asked Mama next day, I said, who'd you vote for? Vote for Big Jim. <laughs> <laughs> he paved them farm roads. <laughs> she, st- she still voted for Big Jim. But anyway, he finished. He, did, he didn't make the run. That was Big Jim's last two runs. Now, let me segue. There's one other story I got to have you tell, and it also involves birds and it's wallace and the snowbird story oh yeah tell that one well tell the snowbirds yeah anybody who's traveling down my can down my, my county uh wallace you got to see that realize this wallace had the most unbelievable name memory thing you've ever seen in your life god sat down one day and said i'm fixing to make a politician because he could walk in a room and meet 50 people and remember their names 10 years later Goodness. It was a God-given ability that politicians try to cultivate now, but Wallace had an unbelievable memory for names. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was uncanny. But, he, you know, he got shot in, in running for president in 1972. Then uh, in a parking lot of Maryland, he was running for president in Maryland. He already been governor twice in 62. His wife was governor in 66, and he came back and won again in 70. But he was uh, 
running for president. He got shot four or five times and had, and had four or five bullet wounds through his body. And so he was paralyzed from waist down, and most people would have died, but he was in constant pain all the rest of his life in a wheelchair. That bullet saved his political life, but it ruined his life. I mean, he had no quality of life. And, and you know, so he had to take pain pills all day long. And mm -hmm. so he would, uh, you know, he, he didn't know where he was a lot of times. I often tell people when our, some of our governors would, would have problems like Bentley with that girlfriend or, you know, some other having problems, I'd say, well, my observation of Alabama politics, we really ain't got to have a governor. Uh, Wallace was on pain pills, didn't know where he was. Big Jim stayed drunk, didn't know where he was. They put Sigmund Hunt in jail. You know, at least, at least Bentley knows where he's doing. His girlfriend just tells him what to do. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, I'd take up for him, you know. Uh. I mean, Wallace was on pain pills. Big Jim was drunk and put Hunt and Sigmund in jail. You know, and so... Uh, and then Fob, all he wanted to go duck, duck hunting all the time. Mm -hmm. He didn't get that being, being governor. But anyway, back to the story of Wallace's uh, memory. I, I, I had known Wallace since I was a page. And, and ironically, you fast forward 20 years later, I'm his representative. My first term <laughs> in the House, I'm 30 years old. I'm elected to the House from Pike County, but my county's not big enough to have a House seat by itself, so I have to go over and get Barber County. So I get Wallace's hometown of Clayton and Clyde, was my, my district. And Wallace loved that. He thought that was the funniest thing in the world. Now I was his representative. And he would tell me the same story verbatim every time I saw him. Like, if you ever visit with an old man in a nurse home, he would sit there in that wheelchair with a cigar in his mouth. And this is what he would say to me verbatim. He says, Steve Flowers. Steve, I remember when you were a page boy, you know. I was a page boy, too, when I was a little boy. Chauncey Sparks made me a page when I was a little boy. And, you know, Steve, I, I, I'm kin to all those folks in the northern part of O'Kane. They're my kin folks, you know, the Shepherds and Flemings. And I says, you know, Janie Wallace, the librarian there in Brundage, you know, she's my aunt. She's, she's, uh, she's, she likes you very much, and she's my aunt in there in Brundage. You know, I'm very popular in Brundage. You know, Janie Wallace has never been married. She's an old maid, like I didn't know what an old maid was. You know? I said, thank you, Governor, for telling me that. And, uh, and he'd go on and say, well, you know, my brother Jack's a circuit judge. You know, he swore you in, you know. You remember that? And I said, yes, sir, Governor, I remember. He says, well, now, Steve, you know, I was running for president, but the boy shot me in the parking lot at Bam, Maryland. I forgive him for shooting me in the parking lot, but I'm, I'm still paralyzed, you know. And he was on pain pills. He would call me down there almost every day. And other legislators get jealous about it, and they say, well, what does the governor want to talk about? He said, same thing, nothing. He just wants to tell me stories about how he was how he's kind of the shepherds and Flemings in Northern part of my county, and how I was a page, and he was a page. And, but one day, uh, uh, I was going down to actually ask him for something. We have a, a museum in my home county of Pike right there on Highway 231. Y'all may have passed by it going to the beach or something. And we have a lot of artifacts in there. And I knew we had put some money into the budgets. And back then, we, we all had to go through Wallace to get our money, though, our pork money. We'd put some money in from the Ways and Means Committee over in the tourism budget. Uh, and I knew what, knew what money was over there. But I, and, I'm, and I figured my museum was a legitimate tourist attraction. Mm -hmm. So I was going to ask him for $10,000 for that museum. And that's out of the tourism budget for my museum. Well, I guess Wallace had been in his wheelchair, hadn't gotten out much, and he, 
I went to see him, and he told me the same story. He said, Steve, I'm Ken the Shepherds in Fleming's in the northern part of your county. You know, I remember you were a page boy, and I was a page boy too, you know, and Chauncey Sparks made me a page when I was a little boy, and, you know, and and finally he got through with his story, and he got looking at me, he says, Steve, how old are you now? He goes, I got a room in this line. I said, Governor, I'm 30, 31 years old. I'm your representative. I'm not a page anymore. He says, hmm. I've been governor all your damn life. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, I guess you'd be governor as long as I live. And I'd be governor. She, but you think about it. He, he his, was. In, in his mind, he, you know, I was a little little boy. He was a page. And now I'm a grown man, a representative. And he, it just occurred to me, I've been governor all your damn life, haven't I? <laughs> I said, yeah, I guess you'd be governor as long as I live, governor. I mean, I've been hoping nobody runs against you. Anyway, uh, I was going to ask him for some money for, for my little museum down there. And, and I guess he had not been out and that and driven around or something and he I said Governor I want to get $10,000 out of the tourism budget for my, for my museum in Pike County he says Steve what kind of museum y'all got down there in Pike County I said well Governor we got agricultural things and our artifacts from our bygone days it's a very nice tourist attraction and, and it was and people stopped there and I said people stop on 231 and stop in there and spend money in the county and the state and everything you know he says, oh, well, Steve, and I know I, the word snowbird had just been coined. And, you know, a lot of snowbirds come down through Michigan and everywhere to, to go to the beach for the winter and everything. And they, go through their, they stop there. That, they really did stop there. Uh, so I used the word with the governor. I said, Governor, we've got a lot of snowbirds that come through there. And he gets a very puzzled look on his face. He says, Steve, what kind of birds y'all got down there in Pike County? <laughs> <laughs> he thought I was trying to get a birdhouse. He's on pain pills. You know, he says, well, Steve, what kind of mu-? He didn't know about the museum. didn't know about snowbirds. And I said, no, I changed my course. He said, no, Governor, we got Yankees that come down there. A lot of Yankees come through there. And he got a real puzzled look. He, <laughs> he says, Steve, what are y'all doing to the Yankees down there in Pike County? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the poor old guy thought I was trying to get some money for unsuspecting Yankees coming down through Pike County, <laughs> you know, the, or some kind of speed trap or something, you know, stopping or something. But anyway, he gave me the money. It's one of the biggest uh, donations the state's ever got from that that thing. But anyway, that was an interesting snowbird. He'd not heard the word snowbird. <laughs> <laughs> Drew, do you want to ask uh, Mr. Flowers about any current events since, since we've um, got him here? I've, I've got my two stories out of the way. I don't want to jump current, but I want to talk. So uh, I, I feel like you were a, a, a pretty weird kid like me because you talk about being 12. You were a page. You knew you wanted to run for something. Uh, and you ran for the house at age 30, is that uh, right? Yeah. And so uh, I, I, my first uh, campaign, I was 25, so I ran young as well. So when you were in the house at that time, was the house, was it a full-time job then, or did no, you have a career? What, what career did you have I parallel? Had, I had an like? insurance agency in Troy. Okay. Uh, How long did you do that? Uh, I did, did it all the way up to the legislature. I had a career in insurance and property and casualty, and um, I started out as, as a small-town agency, but then I did a lot of malpractice for doctors, insurance doctors, and then, um, you know, and did a large business council about my workers' comp fund things. And, you know, um, so I, I had a career in insurance up to about 10 years ago. Oh, okay. I still, I still have an insurance business. I merged with the Birmingham agency about I got 10 you. years ago. It's property and casualty. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll be. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So you served. You just, you kind of uh, self-retired there. You didn't wait on somebody to beat you. No, uh, no. You left when you were done playing. I respect that because 
Well, really, I tell you, one of those things, and, and, and people are surprised I say it, I, you mentioned a part-time job. It was really encroaching on my time mm-hmm. because I was the only legislator from my county. And um, I got every phone call from everybody's lost dog, to lost Social Security checks, the garbage ain't been picked up. So y'all got four or five legislators. They might call Gregory one day, a mm-hmm. county row or, mm-hmm. or something. I was the only one from my county, and I'd, my family had been in that county for over 100 years on both sides. So I knew everybody, and I'd spoiled them by campaigning real hard the first time I ran. Mm-hmm. I never had opposition after my first time. And uh, and so, uh, you know, I had to go to every event, and I just uh, I had to go out and make a living. Mm-hmm. You know, in 1990, I served 16 years, and I had two daughters. I had to send to college, and you know, I said I, I can't make a living. Yeah, per diem wasn't getting them to college, was it? No, I wasn't going to do it. I said, well, I, and plus, I didn't have time to do my insurance man. Because mm-hmm. every time I get home, I have 16 phone calls about going to some preacher's anniversary or coming to somebody's homecoming or or trying to get some money for the museum or mm-hmm. you know or. Some snowbird got lost. Somebody, <laughs> uh, need to get him out of jail or something, you know. Some, but, but anyway, that was the reason I got out. And, and uh, I, I, I really like what I'm doing better now. I've been doing this column uh, about as long as I have been legislature now. Yeah. And you're doing a lot of commentary. I saw you had some videos on, on your website as well, do some interviews. Uh, I'm on CBS 42 in Birmingham and mm-hmm. the Birmingham Media Market, also WVUA 23. I actually work for the University of Alabama in public relations. Okay. Uh, and I do a television radio show for them weekly. I have a show on Alabama Public Radio that's a weekly show where I tell old stories. Mm-hmm. And I tell uh, current events and, and uh, old stories uh, the statewide on Alabama Public Radio weekly. And then I have a show on WVUA, a 30-minute show. I have a 30-minute show on Troy University Television. Okay. And I also teach Southern politics once a year at the University of Alabama and at Troy University. Oh, okay. I teach once a year and it's a special adjunct to, to both of my job. I work for both Troy University and the University of Alabama in public relations, and uh, I do media for the Troy Public Television and Radio, too. Gotcha. Well, t- so obviously you're keeping your ear to the ground. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier. Uh, we've already had Senator Jones through here. We've had um, Senate candidate Tommy Tuberville. We're going to try to wrangle the rest of them as they come through Walker County. If you had to place a wager today, who's winning that seat next year? You know, I can't get a handle on that. I think a Republican will win the seat. Well, that's the easy answer. <laughs> I need yeah. you to pick one of them. Well, I, I can't right now because I can't tell. You know, it's, it's too early. And I keep hearing rumors, I don't think it's going to come to fruition because time's getting short, that Jeff Sessions may jump in there. That's the reason I'm, I'm holding, hedging my bet. I believe he would he would jump in at the top of the polls, I would have to assume. I would assume he was. Yeah. And there was, a, there was a poll. I think the National Republicans wanted to see a poll of him. Uh, they don't want Roy Moore to be the nominee because they think that's the only way that they can lose that seat yeah. in Washington. And so uh, – I would say this: all of them have their attributes. Uh, I think Tub- I think the polling is accurate, showing Tuberville has got a strong position now. Mm-hmm. But it's based on celebrity status, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Uh, well, we did that with a president recently too, mm-hmm. so it works. It does. <laughs> well, and uh, you know, I I met with him about a week or two ago. He wanted to have lunch with me, and I met with him and. He's a very personable guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he knows very little about issues of politics, though, mm-hmm. or state politics. 
Uh, but didn't Alabama voters kind of show that's attractive to them? I think it may be. Uh, uh, they, I, I, nationwide it is. Yeah, and, yeah. But he, he's a good guy. <clears throat> and he, he, I think he's in good shape politically. Byrne and Merrill would be the, the obvious, you thought, front runners. Merrill because he's just a tre- tremendous one-on-one retail politician. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's by far the best one-on-one retail politician in the state. Now he will he'll outwork all of them five to one, and know a lot of people personally. Byrne, on the other hand, is a good fundraiser, and he's got two and a half million dollars in the bank. But it's really based on his congressional seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think more you can't you can't underestimate him. I know he's not doing anything, not raising money, but he doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the only one will not write more off of this race yet. He, I think his base of support was at 25% five years ago. Mm-hmm. It's probably dwindled about 15. Well, he's probably got the highest floor out of any of them. Maybe not the highest ceiling, but definitely the highest minimum votes. I think he's got a 15% base that's going to vote for him come hell or high water. Yep. But I don't think 15% gets you in the runoff. Mm-hmm. I, and he's got his negatives are the highest I've ever seen of anybody running for statewide office. Mm-hmm. He's upside down, two to one. Really? Yeah. I mean, he's got 75, 90% name identification, and two-thirds of them, I mean, two, three, three out of four of them will say they ain't going to vote for him regardless. But you can't win a race like that. Mm-hmm. You cannot win. And so I, I don't think he makes the runoff, but I think he's a strong third. I think he's a strong third in mm-hmm. that race. Uh, it's just a matter of who's going to. So you uh-huh. think you think Tuberville's probably in the runoff at this point, just based on how he's looking if he this stay, early. If he stays where he is, he will be. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's going to spend some money though, and it's hard mm-hmm. to raise money in that primary. But if you made me bet now, I'd bet it's a fight between Merrill and Byrne to get mm-hmm. runoff for Tuberville. Mm-hmm. I do too. I feel like that's the same story. Uh, I think Byrne can raise the money. Merrill can do the shoe leather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Merrill's a – he's probably not a, not big Jim tall, but Merrill's a tall guy too. Well, and, and, and the thing about this too, in, in Merrill's defense, uh, Shelby's not going to get involved in that race. He will in the general election. Mm-hmm. But, you know, seniority is so important in a U.S. Senate race. And Tuberville's 65, Burns 64, Moore's 75 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, Merrill's only 54. Yeah, yeah so he's, if, he's if a younger look guy. at somebody who can actually do some good, uh, if Tuberville or Byrne or Moore win, they ain't going to ever have any power. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they they pretty much going to give them bad committee assignments, too, because they're going to assume they can't stay there forever. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, Merrill would they'll stand a better more, chance. They'll, they'll give Moore some real bad committees if he <laughs> 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 Put him in charge of the broom closet I mean, or something, huh? You want to take bets on how long before he ends up under an investigation by somebody? <laughs> I like Moore, though, personally. He's a good old guy. He's not doing – the things he does is not a demagogic thing. Mm-hmm. He's, he, he's sincere about his beliefs. Mm-hmm. I can tell you right now, George Wallace, if you told him if he didn't get out of the schoolhouse door – yeah, go kick him out of the governor's office. He'd got out of that schoolhouse door. He'd run out of that door, right? <laughs> but Moore lost his job when he told him to take that Ten Commandments yeah. out of him. So he he believes in what he's doing. You know, you got to give him that much. That's a point. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's a point. So I, I agree with you, and, and we've mentioned it in here before. I, I think it's the Republicans' best chance of a seat they're going to take back. Obviously, it's a very conservative state, and we have a Democrat there. Um, one of the things that I've I, I found intriguing about Senator Jones so far is uh, he's actually voted. 69% of the time with Senator Shelby. 
Um, so he's kind of not towed a line. Uh, do you think that translates at all to voters in Alabama, or are they just they see the letter and they move on? See the letter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm afraid it's not. Doug Jones is a good guy. Mm-hmm. He's honest. He's, he, 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 of course, he's no, no young chicken. He, he's 64 years mm-hmm. old. But I've known Jones since uh, we were in college. He was about three years, two or three years behind me in college, but we, I've known him. He's always been a national Democrat. Mm-hmm. He was for McGovern. He was for uh, uh, every liberal Democrat that came down the pike, Obama, Clinton. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's never strayed from that and never hid from it. Which we, we voted for Clinton here mm-hmm. in Walker County both times. Did you? We sure, sure did. We voted for mm-hmm. Dukakis. Dukakis. He was for Dukakis. Yeah, That's we true. voted for Dukakis here in Walker County. Walker County. <laughs> we sure did. I did not know Those that. coal unions we go a long way in the ballot Reagan box. In did not know Walker County yeah. voted for Dukakis. Uh, voted that's for a lot of our story here mm-hmm. at Jennifer and my age. We're about half and half in this county. We were, we're about half-time Democrat, half-time Republican. It's it's an intriguing little political mm-hmm. spot here. It really is. Yeah. I didn't realize Walker County still had that Democratic mm-hmm. that late. Well, and even the even the locals, uh, what, probably till. 08, 2010, I think, when yeah. a lot of them started switching party. The ones who yeah. were elected started switching so even, party. So even after we had shifted nationally to voting for Republicans, we all of our locals were still Democrats. Jones might carry walking. I doubt it highly. Uh, <laughs> no, sir. Trump carried uh, 82%. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we, yeah, we made a big, <laughs> swift uh, change well, it on, changed, on how it changed. It changed fast. Uh-huh. It changed very fast. So And overwhelmingly. It did. Mm-hmm. It did. We didn't live in the middle ground for any amount of time. Had we lived in the middle ground, a guy like Doug Jones probably would have stood a chance here. But Well, you uh, know one thing, too. you got to realize that may make that 80% thing is that uh, the, the Trump campaign and adversely the democrats have been anti-coal mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that that may have added something to us wall county still is considered mm-hmm. the coal capital county of the state mm-hmm. matter of fact greg reed and county Rowe and tim wadsworth were one of the first ones to advocate for uh, and for using part of that rebuild alabama mm-hmm. for the docks yep, yep. and it wasn't Mm-hmm. I was having dinner with Shelby one time about two or three years ago. He told me, he says, we gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about that mobile docks. And really, the rebuild Alabama money is only going to be 20% of the money. Mm-hmm. $50 million of that money is coming from Shelby mm-hmm. in Washington. Who happens to be over appropriations these days. Exactly. Yeah. And so he, he's going to put $50 million in those docks. But he sat there, we were having dinner, and he says, do you know that, that – uh, that our Mercedes plant cannot ship their their vehicles through Mobile. Really? He says it's not deep enough and wide enough. They have to send every one every one of our car manufacturers have to go to Savannah, Georgia, to ship their vehicles. That resonated with me. Absolutely. I said that's amazing, Shelby. Yeah. I said that 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 told me a story right there. So he knew that that uh, that, that, that that our docks and that's the state's docks. Uh huh. That money's not out. Mobile doesn't own those. Uh, that's right. The state owns those dogs. Yeah. Uh, in 2007, those boys from Pike County came up to Cordova to play a state semifinal Uh-oh. game. Brunish Bulldogs. It was well. They were. They were. Uh, I think they were Pike County well, by that time, Pike right? Yeah yeah. 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 That was one of the best football games I've ever watched. It was the coldest football game I have ever attended. I'm happy to say my Blue Devils uh, shut you down and, uh, and sent y'all back <laughs> and, to Pike and County. They had a pretty good team too. Oh, they were the both. It was a slobber knocker. And, they had uh, some SEC players on that team. I they think did. Cornelius they Bennett did. was on that team. 
No, this would have been a little bit later than that. Okay. This was okay. 07, so Bennett would have been 90s. Okay, yeah. But you, there was some talent on that team, definitely. Yeah. Same for Cordova. But we, we went on to win the state championship, so you didn't lose in vain. Boy. That would have been 3A at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure was. Mm-hmm. All right, now that I mentioned that Cordova beat you, I'm done with you. <laughs> Our very <laughs> first championship <laughs> on the podcast. Look at there. Well, all right. We've enjoyed having you, Mr. Flowers. Thank you for coming by with us. I sure enjoyed it. Thank you all for having me. And we are back. We hope you enjoyed our time with Mr. Flowers. We did. Uh, Once again, he stayed around and told us a few more stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as with some of our other guests, those stories uh, uh, were even more entertaining than the ones told on the podcast because they can't be told on the podcast. I feel like they get a little more comfortable without the microphone in front Uh, of their face. They're willing to kind of really tell it to you. Take away the headset. Yeah. We really get the good stuff. Yeah. There's the podcast, and then there's the after podcast. So, uh, but yeah, he was he was a lot of fun. He was here for the Kiwanis Club meeting, mm-hmm. and uh, and was kind enough to share his time with us after that. So, uh, let's move on to our segment: true story or fake news. Oh no! In honor of uh, in honor of Mr. Flowers, we'll we'll make this a throwback kind of a question so you heard that uh mr trump a little while ago uh president trump was interested possibly in buying greenland i've heard you've heard of this (laughs) i've heard so uh true story or fake news Uh, he was not the first u.s president to be interested in making that deal oh um I'm going to call that a true story. I, I think somebody else may have made a swipe at that. We used to be in the uh, buying other places business, so I'm going to go with well, that's true. That's a real story. Uh, so his name, again, a throwback to our, our presidential history, Mr. President uh, Harry Truman. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, Truman. So in 1991, it came out to the Associated Press that the U.S. had offered uh, Denmark $100 million in gold. Uh, to purchase Greenland. What year was that? In 1946. So what it came it? out in 1991, but the offer, this was being discussed in 1946. What's $100 million in today's dollars? I have no idea. From 46. Uh, it's got to be like triple or quadruple that. Which I think this is before Alaska was a state, uh, but we also possibly would have just traded parts of Alaska for it. That was <laughs> That could have been a thing. Um, oh, Seward's folly. So, to be clear, Mr. Truman, I don't think ever made direct appeals, uh, but the military, so specifically the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said that Greenland was indispensable to the safety of the United States. Really? Um, that it had valuable bases from which to launch an air counteroffensive uh, over the Arctic area in okay. the event of, a ta- of an attack. Okay. Um, so, again, I don't think they ever found anything that suggested President Truman got involved in these things. And we were kind of Cold War, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But certainly uh, our military brass looked over in that direction and said, um, there's some potential here. And I'll I think be. we ended up with the bases eventually anyway, even without the purchase. Did we? And I didn't go down the, the rabbit hole too far this time around. What was the basis of us having interest now? Did you look into that at all? It's military again. Just military? It's advantageous spot? Yeah. I, but, huh. Or a hotel. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, apparently these documents uh, uh, were declassified in 1991. I'll be. So we didn't know. Uh, 
we didn't know for about what 30 40 years that this had even gone on um but yeah people you people we we thought that's weird why was the president why does he want to buy another country that's weird so just keeping up with Truman now, um, we know that he went to a lot of Army-Navy games. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that he potentially was interested in buying Greenland. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he dropped atomic bombs. Mm-hmm. That's all I got on Truman, but mm-hmm. my Truman knowledge has expanded since mm-hmm. we began this. Well, look into what he did as a member of, uh, let's see, was he a senator? I forget. I want to say he was a senator. I could be wrong. But, you know, he actually investigated President Roosevelt during Ooh. the— um, uh, the the New Deal yeah. programs and yeah. things like that. There was so there was some wasteful spending. I can and imagine. If I remember correctly, that's actually how Truman kind of became known. Got it's on the radar on committee and started investigating. You know, we're paying this much money for these materials and these projects, and mm-hmm. where is it going? Mm-hmm. Um, he was an so, oversight guy. Uh-huh. He was a, he had failed at like three or four different professions before he ever got into politics. Very interesting. But very interesting. He man. fell upward. Mr. Truman, you have did. to say. He did. Uh, yep. So, uh, so our guest next week, I think we're hopeful, is going to be Miss Linda Enzer. Yep. Um, that's that's another one for me. That's a little bit outsider. Uh, I believe we've met, but I don't. We've never had any lengthy conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, she's got a big part of the story to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Republicans really just grabbing a stranglehold mm-hmm. here, so um, that'll be a good one. She, uh, I think she just she has the encyclopedia of Republican <laughs> knowledge uh, for this county. Uh, Linda and I uh, worked together during that time that I covered the county commission mm-hmm. for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's obviously been involved in in Walker County Republican politics for a long time, and so we. Uh, we reached out to her, and I think she's going to come in and sit down and kind of pick up, I imagine, where Greg left off. So we took Greg mm-hmm. up to a certain point, and I think Linda can take us from that point through the years where the Republican Party becomes uh, the dominant force that they are in Walker County politics today. So. That'll be good, and she'll be our eighth and final uh, for this season. That I believe that will wrap us up. And then we'll splice together all the stuff I screwed up off the cutting room floor, and you can make fun of me and throw that up in your and little mini sods. Yes, and some some new content. I've got some ideas okay. for right. uh, right. for some new content. Um, there'll be a debate that comes out at some point, and we're definitely throwing around some ideas about what you and I can do because. That's kind of how this whole thing started. We spent an hour <laughs> breaking down all of the uh, Democratic <laughs> candidates. Well, and there's ten of them right now, so it's like uh-huh. it, the the crop is there for us to really uh, have some fun with. And as mm-hmm. we let them dwindle down, we've got less people to make fun of. Mm-hmm. But they're gonna give us uh, they're gonna give us a lot of material, man. They already are. They're a crazy yeah. train. Yeah. So uh, so we may do an episode like that, just breaking down the field and our our favorite debate debate moments. Uh, Spoiler, Kamala Harris smacking down Joe Biden will <laughs> we'll make my list. But, uh, but I'm sure there are others that we can throw out there, some of our favorites. So, uh, so yes, next week should be Linda, and then we'll move into kind of our, our shortened mini-sode season. So we'll see you next week. See you. Left on Red is a Daily Mountain Eagle production. Copyright 2019, Daily Mountain Eagle, all rights reserved.